If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to Mark chapter 6. Uh, Mark chapter 6, we're going to be reading uh, verses 30 to 44. Mark 6, 30 to 44. So, good morning. If you're a visitor here uh, this morning, you are very welcome. My name's Raj. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Jubilee. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the service so far. We obviously have less people here this morning. Who knows what's going to happen over the weeks to come. There is a big, big, big chance that this might be our last together meeting for a little bit. That's a, there's a significant chance of that from what uh, we're hearing. So, great, great um, notices, but, you know, keep it all light for the moment. Um, in that time, however, we are going to be still communicating with the church. Okay, so we're just already talking a little bit about that. How do we? How do we communicate so that we get a church that we're obviously supporting, loving, caring for, but also praying and worshipping? So we're just kind of... Um, Simon's got a whole plan for cyber, jubileechurchcyberchurch.com. No, he hasn't really. Um, <laughs> um, so anyhow, we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll see how we go with that. Uh, for those who, of you who come regularly, you'll know that we're in our sermon series called... Genius, it's getting through. <laughs> Cold. Cold. Oh. Oh. You're welcome. A church for everyone. Looking at how Jesus encountered, how Jesus welcomed people uh, from all sorts of backgrounds, from all sorts of differences. His life was eye-catching. What he said was breathtaking. How he uh, interacted was thrilling. This Jesus was amazing. A life that really did demand an explanation. And so this morning is no different. We're going to be looking at another encounter. So let's get straight to it. Let's read this uh, next miraculous encounter with Jesus. Mark 6, 30-44. I'll read it. It'll be up on the, um, the keynote, the PowerPoint behind us. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not, eat, uh, did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages, Jesus. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it? to them to eat, all of them. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. 
So they sat down in uh, groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves, the bread. Then he gave them to, then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Five loaves, two fish. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. This is God's word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Thank you, Lord, that these miraculous encounters are The point of them is to point to you, Lord God, the author and perfecter of our faith. As Peter said, the one who's large and in charge. Lord, the one we trust, the one who loves us, the one who is our shelter and refuge. And we pray, Lord God, as we look at your word this morning, that you will come powerfully amongst us and teach us and teach us, but also through your teaching, change us, transform our heart by your spirit. I ask that in Jesus' name. So, feeding the 5,000. I'm getting quite hungry myself, actually. My tummy is gurgling. Um, This is a very famous account, isn't it? Um, However, I'm not sure we've ever read it in the way um, that Mark intended his readers to have read uh, what Jesus said, what Jesus was doing, how they will have received it. We probably have read it in a different way. Well, I have anyway. So what do I mean by that? Well, I used to often think of this story as a lovely, pretty story. Jesus is on a beautiful hillside like the sound of music, yeah, and, and swaying trees and everyone's hungry. So what does Jesus do? He puts on a lovely, beautiful magic picnic. He, um, a, a, bit, a bit like, I don't know if you've ever been to one of our Iranian brothers' picnics, but our Iranian brothers and sisters, when they have a picnic, kind of a bit like that. Rugs out, flasks warm, everyone filled full. That's for definite. What a lovely day with Jesus. Oh, isn't that a pretty story? You know what's coming, don't you? Brrr, press the button. That is the wrong picture, Jubilee. That is the wrong picture. That's not what Mark is getting across here. Quite the opposite, actually, when you study it. Um, um, this story, when you study in it all its historic and political um, context, this, uh, this story is actually about a revolution that's about to begin. It's a revolt, a rebellion. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about this story at all. And I'll explain that in a minute. But in the midst of this fervor and uprising, as they're all gathering, not a nice little beautiful picnic with Saeed bringing along some eggs. He likes his eggs, Saeed from uh, Great Eton. Um, It's not like that. In amongst all the fervor and uprising, our Jesus very masterfully paints a huge vision of what his radical upside unexpected kingdom looks like how Jesus' revolution if you like looks totally different to their revolution your revolution my revolution you see we live in a world that is that desperately wants radical change don't we 
Presently, fear and frenzy, we've heard about it a few times this morning, is gripping the hearts of many. Generally, when I watch telly, people are wanting, um, wanting an uprising, if you like, a shake-up, a shift in the way things are. All the time, we see it on the telly, we see it on face to it. We see it in the conversations at the school gate or at Prime Minister's question time. It's all over the place. And do you know what? Do you know what Jesus says? about this revolution, this shift, this change, he says, so do I. I want it too. To all of you who want to see this world, humanity to be what it can be, to see lives transformed, communities thrive, for sickness cured, for truth to shape our children and, and, and our streets and the people on them. Listen, this is a church for you, because so do we. We want what Jesus wants too. You're welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. The revolution begins and continues here, says Jesus, this morning. So what am I talking about, revolution? What is Jesus talking about? Quickly, four headings. Firstly, everyone is looking for a revolution. What do I mean? How is this passage actually about a revolution? Well, let me explain. Verse 32 and 35 tells us that they went away, the disciples and Jesus, by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, a remote place, away from the surrounding countryside and villages. So where exactly was Jesus going? Well, when you compare the other accounts of this story, when you know, people who look at this in more detail, when, when you look at the maps following Jesus' journey, it would seem that he's going to the rural parts of Galilee, the hill district, the remote regions of uh, Galilee. In Jesus' time, these were the places that all the guerrilla freedom fighters hung out, hid out. You see, Jesus was retreating to where, um, um, where the revolutionary resistance to the Roman imperial rule was at its greatest. This was the center of what's called the zealot movement, and the zealots were terrorists of the day, according to the Romans. Right? This is a big deal. Make no mistake, this wasn't a beautiful picnic. This was very heated. It was an unstable environment. People here were angry, ready for war, ready for action, outraged. In John's account of this story, he tells us that the crowd intended to come and make Jesus king by force. That's what it says. The people were enraged and they wanted a military leader. They wanted a military leader. They wanted someone to lead a military revolution. And Jesus knew it. In verse 35, he actually tells us that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Why? It says because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's what it says. He's actually, if we don't get this, uh, we don't get what Mark is getting across, but he's referring back to Numbers 27. Numbers 27, where it says, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd what he's referring to. This is Moses' prayer to God from Numbers 27. 
at, at the end of his life, before they're about to take the, take the promised land, as Moses asks God for his successor, a political military leader, Joshua actually, we read about him, Jesus recognized that in him they wanted a new Moses. That's what's going on here, a new Joshua, a revolution to put everything that was wrong in their eyes right. You know what? Our world desperately needs a new Joshua, a new Moses. In fact, Jesus, which translated does mean Joshua, to put these things right. I remember watching this heart-wrenching channel. We watched this heart-wrenching Channel 4 documentary called Finding Mom and Dad about two brothers, Daniel and Connor, who um, were playing at a party. Pretty normal, really until it became clear that this was no ordinary party. It wasn't Christmas, it wasn't their birthday. No, this was an adoption party. A party for children who had been separated from their parents and failed all the usual attempts to place them with a long-term mum and dad, a forever mum and dad. The documentary said, for youngsters like Connor and Daniel, this was their final chance to make a good impression on a potential parent. If they didn't, they would go into long-term care, probably be separated from one another, and never be able to call anyone mum or dad again. And as the documentary progressed, at least uh, after at least three parties, no one wanted them. And it went on to say, but while Connor and Daniel had a great time dressed up as superheroes at a party, Katie, their foster mum, hated every moment. It was like trying to sell a product that nobody wanted, she says. We played with the boys all day, but no one came near them. I wanted to wrap them up and run out of there. It felt very personal and very distressing. I came back from home and sobbed my heart out. We need a revolution. This world needs, this broken world needs a revolution. Jubilee, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, I felt God say we need to be peacemakers. I really felt that very clear. We need to be peacemakers of God. This is an escalating situation that I believe will cause confrontation and division as people get more fearful and frustrated. We live in a broken, self-centered world. We too are on the firing line, aren't we? We'll be feeling the same tension, some of us. But the difference, Jubilee, as we've heard a few times this morning, is that we are called to live beyond ourselves. We are called to be the salt and light in the darkness. We are called to, be, um, to live with an eternal hope an eternal hope-filled perspective that goes way beyond, way ahead of what is happening in the here and now. This revolution demands you and me supporting all that is going on, finding out who's in need and helping them, praying fervently for those in charge and making decisions, and those on the ground serving in the midst of difficulty. We, Jubilee, are the peacemakers of God, and peacemaking requires action. 1 Samuel 25, it says, but one of the young men, it's, referring, it's ultimately referring to King David, but one of the young men told Abigail and Nabal's wife, saying, behold, hear this, behold, King David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. 
Yet the men were not were yet the men were very good to us, and they were not insulted, nor did we miss anything, as long as we went about with them while we were in their fields. They were a wall to us, both night and day. It's a tricky time. In this tricky time, let's be peacemakers. Let's actively love one another. Let's choose not to be insulted. Angela told me that one time, a long time ago, really helpful advice. Let's choose not to be insulted. Let's go all out for our neighbor, following guidance, yet responsible, trusting God, and finding creative ways to help. Let's be secure. Let's be a secure and comforting wall to all those around us by day and by night. Let's be the peacemakers of God. Everyone's looking for a revolution. Everyone's looking for something or to someone for change. And Jesus, in all of his compassion, says, I've come to you. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Now share it. Secondly, Jesus' revolution is not about bullets, as they were thinking. It's about bread. When you see what this story is really about, when you see what the people here are after uh, from Jesus, suddenly the shocking nature of Jesus' reply, as ever, in verse 34, hits you in the face. Do you see it? Look, Jesus is out in the middle of nowhere. The people are crying out for a violent revolution. We want war. We want Iron Man 4. Come on, Jesus. Give it to us. You demand. That's what they're crying out for. And Jesus' answer is this. So he began teaching them many things. A Bible study followed by some Warburton's bread. That's weird, don't you think? But Jesus never wastes a moment. He's always totally in control. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. In the midst of all the cries for a revolution, instead of giving out weapons and bombs, as actually we see in many parts of the world, even today, he gives out his word and bread. He's saying, I haven't come to deal out death, I've come to deal out life. Gospel life, life to the full, the bread of life. You're welcome at my feast, all of you. And listen, That's what he gives to us too. That's what he gives to us too. God's word is power to us. Don't knock it. It's life to us. That's the significance of the bread. Bread in Jesus' day, we don't always get this. We just think about it as toast and butter. But bread in Jesus' day symbolized life. Life. Jesus' word is deep, deep, satisfying nourishment to our soul. I love what Jeremiah says in chapter 15 about the words of God. Your, word, Lord, were fa- your words, Lord, were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of God of hosts. Do you believe we live in a world that hungers for truth? The truth of God, especially now, especially in, the conf- in, in confusing times. The atheist John Paul Sartre once said, very pitifully, I think, he said this, that God does not exist, I cannot deny. That my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. He's an atheist, obviously. Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I love the privilege of being in settings where the Bible's truth is totally alien to people. That's most places, by the way, if you're, uh, if you're really living your life in the will of God. With drug addicts, with Muslims, with Hindus, with GPs to be, with my rich dad friends, with prisoners at Alpha. That's where the, that's where the word of God needs to be. I love engaging people genuinely in a discovery of who God is. I want... I want to know what they think. I want to uh, know why they think what they think instead of just making it up myself. Questions, questions, not just spouting off what they don't want to hear. I'm interested in them and what they have to say. Over the coming months, people will be asking you for answers. How do you get through this coming season? What is it that fortifies you? What gives you strength and perseverance? What makes you do the things that others are not doing? What is it? Who is it? Jubilee, I want to encourage you to let the word of Christ dwell in you you richly. Every one of us, younger guys, Make this a priority. Love, get to know and love the Bible. Use all the modern quirky, um, you know, uh, uh, apps and all that kind of thing. But get to know the Word of God. There's a whole load of stuff out there to help you. Ask us if you need to. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly so others can find hope in Jesus through you. Ambassadors, envelopes for God. Yes, over the coming weeks, we'll probably stop meeting together. I can imagine that's going to happen. But hear this, over the coming months, God will be sending out his church, you and me, to declare the gospel in deed and word to our friends and family and street and neighbors and colleagues who desperately need them. This, is, this season is going to be church on the go. I'm excited about church on the go. Everyone's after a revolution. Jesus' gospel revolution is himself to the world, the bread of life. Thirdly, Jesus chooses a very unlikely army. He's pointing at me too. That's probably the most fundamental point here. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, many of you will remember this, puts it brilliantly. Brothers and sisters, you and me, us lot, think what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, except Simon. But God... No, not really. But God... (laughs) But God chose the foolish things of the world. You and me, not Simon. No, no. God chose the foolish things of the world. You and me to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. You and me to to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Yep, you've guessed it. You and me and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. 
What catches our attention in this story, what grips us most of all, is the miracle, isn't it? It's a miracle. This isn't just ordinary bread. It's miraculous bread. Bread from heaven. Bread from God. Who provided it? God did. Who helped him provide it? No one. No one. When Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat, he's asking them, and we need to get this, he's asking them to do the impossible. And they know it. Boy, do they know it. That would take more than a half year's wage, grump, grump. Are we to go and spend that money on bread and give it to this law? Argy, argy. They're saying in frustration and exasperation, Jesus, you're asking us to do the impossible. Stop it. And of course, that's Jesus' whole point. Jesus is saying that to us too. Until you see what I'm calling you to do is impossible. Until you realize the huge gap between what you're able to do and what I am able to do, says God. Until then, only until then, are you qualified to do anything I ask of you? Ouch. Jubilee, he wants us to realize how powerful he is, how sufficient he is, and how much we need him. Because until we get this, we will always live in disappointment and discouragement and sometimes fear. We will always be yearning for a different kind of revolution. If you're new to Christianity, if you're thinking, I'm not good enough, if you think, Raj, you don't know me, you don't know what I've done, you don't know what I've been through, God says, I do, and I do, and you're the person I want to display my glory through and change the world. If you come to me and trust me, my army is made up of people like you. Jubilee, this is increasingly the journey that I feel God is calling us on, uh, calling us into. It's a journey of faith, faith for the impossible. Are we prepared? Are we willing? This is the message version of Isaiah 54. What God has been speaking to us about lots recently is what Jeremy brought. It's what um, Paul Winston's bedsheet Sunday was about and so on. Um, But this is the message version. Clear plenty of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, Jubilee. Spread out. Think big. Use lots of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep. You're You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. Why? For your maker is your bridegroom. His name, God of the angel armies. I like that. Your redeemer is the holy one of Israel, known as God of the whole earth. The season ahead is going to require finances, going to require hands up, uh, I'm in. It's, it's going to require promised land thinking where in Jesus there is always more than enough. This is going to require big encounters with God. This is going to require sticking ourselves in uncomfortable settings as beacons of hope and truth, particularly in schools and college settings. This is going to require more of us to make friends and encourage them to try Alpha. This is going to need boldness and faith and a love beyond reason, as Simon started off with. As I look around, as I see what Jesus does in the lives 
of his fumbling, not got it all together followers, you and me, as I encounter the glory of God in different ways, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged, as the Apostle Paul used to write again and again to his churches. I'm encouraged more than ever that as we step out saying, yes, here I am, send me, we will be increasingly bringing the joy news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. Because that's what we're about. That's going to become our leading motivation over the years to come. That's what God is calling this church to primarily do, a vision that inspires passion. Are you in? Is your hand up? Everyone's after a revolution. Where are you looking for yours? Jesus' gospel revolution is himself, the bread of life. Where are you feasting? This isn't dad's army. It's God's army. The two might look the same, but not. But the big difference is God. Bringing the joy news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. Finally, finally, the cross says, come the revolution. Come the revolution. You see, all revolutions start with a shot. They start with an act of bloodshed, an act of brutality, don't they? I've seen the films. Storm the fortress, invade the city, throw the captain overboard. Come the revolution. That's what uh, this large gathering was expecting in some form or another. And little did they know it, that's exactly what Jesus intended to do. When Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, he was pointing to a coming reality. A shot, an act of bloodshed, an act of brutality. Terrible brutality. In Mark 14, 22, a few chapters on, Jesus is sitting at the Passover meal with the very same people, his disciples. And right there before him, he uses those very same words that he used in this passage. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. You see, on the cross, the revolution started. On the cross, Jesus became not just a new Moses or a new Joshua, but the ultimate Moses, the ultimate Joshua. This shot, this gruesome act of violence, of Jesus on the cross paved the way for the ultimate exodus, liberation, the ultimate promised land entry. Not just from political and military oppression, but from our greatest enemies of all, our soul-destroying defilers, humanity's biggest problem, sin and death, dishonoring, disregarding, disobeying the God who made us. You see, for this, bread to bring nourishment to you and me, to give life to you and me, it had to be broken. There was no other way. God's justice is paramount. On the cross, the bread of heaven, Jesus, was torn apart. He was broken so that we would live. He took our greatest enemies and he led the revolt against sin and death, all of our dishonor, disobedience and disregard. And in the midst of his agonizing, tormenting, bloody ordeal, 
He won. Victory, victory, he cried. It is finished. Not I am finished. In fact, he'd only just begun. Colossians 2.13 When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were, incapable of res- you were incapable of responding to God. Fact. But God brought you alive, right along with Christ. Another fact. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant cancelled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority and at the cross, at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That's what the message version says. And do you know what? When you see him on the cross doing that for you, you will be a revolutionary like no other, like Martin Luther King said. We are still determined to use the weapons of love. As you see him pouring out his life for you, it'll change you from the inside out as you pour your life out for others in giving, in service, in fighting poverty and injustice, in being salt and light where God has put you, in going to the nations, in praying for the sick and caring for the elderly, the poor, the marginalized, not just doing this for the people you like, your tribe, but the ones who are not in your tribe, the ones who you think don't deserve it possibly, the very opposite ones, just like, just like Jesus. Jubilee, my prayer this morning is that you would let the amazing grace of God start a revolution in you, nothing less. This is a time to look up to Jesus, Jubilee, and see his glory and let it drench all we do in a world that needs him. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords if the band could come up. Strengthen your stakes. Come the revolution. Jubilee, let's be peacemakers of God together. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to pass around the mic, but can I encourage you to start shouting out so we can all hear? Thanksgiving. What have you got to be thankful for? One by one, let's start thanking God. Let's start declaring out our praises. Come on, let's hear it. Come on, let's hear it. One by one, I need to hear it. Who's going to start?